Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the hosts, Kevin Hines, and I'm here with the other host, Will Hines. Um, yeah. We are sort of comedians. We are Ish. actual brothers. True. And uh, we are comic book fans. True. Yeah. Uh, not comic book experts. No, gosh, we get stuff wrong all the time. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, but you know, and you know, and sort of comedians, we, sometimes we get so. stuff wrong on purpose. Like when we attribute Steve Ditko as the creator of almost everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to believe our lies there. I think he's responsible for Titanic, the movie. Sure. And the boat. Yeah. And the sinking of the boat. Yeah. He sank That's, it. He, he built it and sank it. As I mean, it's his up, boat. He should be allowed to. Yeah. And, um, he said to set up a movie, which was really good. So good for him. Yeah, good, good choice, Dicko. I think he's still alive. Me too. I think I might be him. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, this is uh, so. This season we are covering the Superior Spider-Man. This is mm-hmm. a thirty-one issue run by Dan Slott and, and Ryan Stegman, was the original artist, uh, and and uh, drew a couple of the big arcs, uh, though not the arc we're talking about today. Uh, and it ran. I, I don't know when. Uh, I don't know. Two thousand twelve around then. Yeah, not super long ago. And it is an arc where Otto Octavius, also known as Dr. Octopus, had taken over Peter's brain uh, and become the new Spider-Man. And then Peter died in Dr. Octopus's body. So now. Okay, it ran between uh, January 2013 and September 2014. Sorry. 2012 was really close. Um, There you go. We're comic book experts now. I guess 2012 is the the amazing Spider-Man issues. The seven issue seven hundred, yeah, like the the ones that introduced the story. So it is from like the end of twenty twelve through September twenty fourteen. Uh, but yeah, so this is a storyline where basically Spider Man is now controlled by Doctor Octavius, Doctor Octopus, and he is trying to be a good guy, but his way. So he's he thinks he is superior to the original Peter Parker Spider Man, and uh, in some ways he is, and in some ways he's not. He's definitely a super villain. Being a superhero, and it's very fun. It's a yeah. very popular arc. Uh, we've been asked to cover it for a long time. Will had never read it, uh, so he's reading it for this and loving it. I've mm-hmm. read it before, and I'm enjoying the excuse to reread it. Uh, and today we're covering issues four, five, and six of Superior Spider-Man. Yes, um, I love it, and I love these issues. I've gone way ahead. I also want to say I've bought an iPad recently, so I'm now reading my digital comics on an iPad. Steve Jobs got to you. Finally, uh, I mean, he's been dead since 2008, but uh, the man's influence looms yeah. large. He, and I mean, he put things in motion, including his death, that he knew would help I get you to get my I got pre-recorded messages from Steve Jobs targeting me mm-hmm. uh, that I would get on my iPhone every now and then. Yeah. Um, they were built that wasn't enough for the- him. That guy, he was like, that's not enough. You got an iPhone. He's like, not enough. Yep. And I think when he died, I had not even gotten the iPhone. So he's, this is this is really... This has really been a long time coming. He wants you to get the Apple Watch next, I'm sure. Never. Oh boy. And uh, but I've so been you got, um, so you got an iPad, and it just makes reading digital com. I used to read them on my laptop, and um, I we are not sponsored by Apple, but I'll just say like the experience of reading comics on an iPad is so much better that I uh, 
you used to kind of put off into the last minute the comics you'd have to read, not not anything about the quality of the comic books, but just because I'd have to like set up my laptop, sit down somewhere and I don't know, you know, find them on Marvel yeah. Unlimited and deal. Now, like on the iPad, it's just so much easier just to swipe from page to page. Uh, yeah, when enjoy. I got my, uh, I've had my iPad, I got an iPad basically when it first came out because I was like, oh, this looks like a great way to read digital comics. And immediately I stopped buying any single issues of comics, just reading them digitally um, or very soon after anyway. And then like, even then, like, I, Which I is buy it? a lot is less. Is it right away or very soon after? Which very is soon. it? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, great. Another, er- another mistake in our podcast. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, you know, I buy less trades now cause it's just nice not to have my shelves covered in comics. I can just buy the ones I really like. Um, and yeah, I just mostly read comics on my iPad. So it's just like, so I'm like way for me, I'm way ahead of, uh, where we are in the podcast, which is exciting for me. I actually feel like I kind of am a comics fan again. Uh, even like, uh, now that we have, we have Marvel's and we both have Marvel unlimited right now. And it's sometimes I'll read things on Marvel unlimited that I have in my house in a box somewhere. I'm like, I don't want to dig out Marvels. I'm just yeah. going to pull it up on Marvel, uh, Marvel Unlimited. It's easier. Yeah. It, it's sort of like streaming when you have the DVD somewhere. It's like, yeah. I do wish the Marvel Unlimited search feature was better, right? Sure. The search feature could be so much better. Um, I mean, it's I'm, not, it, it is a, it is an insane treasure to have all of those comics available. So it's the good far outweighs the negative, but there's, their search is not great. Yeah, it's a, and it's a little clunky even. It, sometimes it just feels like not super responsive to things, but it's right there. Yeah. And that's what's easy about it. It yeah. doesn't also have everything, which, you know, that's a weird complaint to have, but it's... Um, it does seem arbitrary, the stuff they have or don't have. Yeah. They'll have like Amazing Spider-Man, like 105, and it's like, which, whatever, you know, or some, some issue that's not particularly like re- relevant or whatever, and they'll be missing all of Alpha Flight or something like that. Right. Uh, and I was, I was looking up the old Captain Britain. I was looking up the Captain Britain stuff from Alan Davis and I forget they might not have the Alan Moore stuff or, or maybe they don't have what precedes the Alan Moore stuff that Alan Davis did. It's something like that. They're missing like a handful of things. I'm sort of like, that feels incomplete now. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know how many people were looking those things up and caring, but yeah. Uh, or I looked up the Ditko Spider-Man issues and it was just hard to find them. And I was like, why is it hard to find? I'll say this, like, the people we have talked to from Marvel, like Tom Brevoort and Jordan White, and then we were also guests on the Marvel Pull List pod, which is an official Marvel, which we assume will come out at some time, unless they're hiding it because they're scared of how good we were. We said some pretty controversial things about how <laughs> we like comic books. <laughs> they don't want um, that getting out there. I did mention a DC comic book, I think, at some point, so maybe that's why. That's probably will never be released. Oh, um, boy. And, uh, but they, the people we talk to are such genuinely enthusiastic comic book nerds, like true, true, like fans of the medium that I, I feel like Marvel Unlimited's does not reflect that, like the, the interface to it. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like it has been tested by a nerd, like a completist, mm-hmm. you know, I keep all of these things in plastic bags and boxes. It doesn't feel like that has been that would not satisfy a basic, and I feel like it should. I suspect, with no uh, information to tell me otherwise, that it's not a high it. priority thing for Marvel. Like making the comics is a higher priority. Makes uh, sense. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, you know, they work for Disney, so they probably are, uh, uh, have some meetings with people who are making the cartoons and movies and stuff and things like that. And that's clearly going to be a higher priority. And I think like this app is like, oh, this is a nice thing to have. 
but I doubt they're like spending a ton of money on it. They probably put some money into it. It's not. I mean, it's there and it crappy. works and you can find it. Uh, but it doesn't feel like the sort of thing where it's, it's, it's not like their primary thing. It is their. If I were elected president, year. if I were elected president day one, mm-hmm. I issue an a edict sure. for Marvel Comics to improve the search function on Marvel Unlimited. Then I resign from office. Okay. Well, I mean, I would recommend not, don't run on that platform. I don't think you'll get a ton of votes, but um, let's get into these issues. Sure. Let's do it. So again, we're covering issues four, five, and six. Uh, uh, well, we're going to just kind of talk about four in general, and then we'll go page by page for issue five. So what we find on four is uh, we're kind of laying the seeds for a couple of things. And we're also introducing the villain of the three arcs. First, we should say the artist for these, uh, at least these first two issues, I forget if he did the third one, is Giuseppe Camanucoli. I'm probably not getting that quite right. I think you added a syllable. Camanucoli, yeah. I think. Camanucoli. Uh, I love Kamen-coli. his art. You have like a little accent when you say it. Yeah, kind of, yeah I don't know cute. how to say it without that. Um, I like that that gets activated. Yeah, that, yeah it's, it's, it's hard to say Giuseppe. <laughs> That, like that turns you into like yeah. Mario. Basically. Well, I hang out with uh, Jim Santangeli sometimes, and uh, he loves to do an exaggerated do Italian. Italian accent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, his art is great. I really love his art. No, it's really That's beautiful. Uh, so the the villain of these three, the main villain is a character named Massacre. Mm-hmm. Massacre. Oh, these first two. He's the villain of the issues four and five. Yeah, and um, his. Uh, his whole thing is that the empathy from his brain has been physically removed. Mm-hmm. He was in a car accident where his wife died. This is sort of similar to the Punisher. Like he's set up to be a villain because of his family getting murdered, but it's even heightened because the physical part of his brain that yeah. has empathy is removed. So he has no sense of remorse. Yeah. Which makes him kind of terrifying. And so he, uh, he was created a while back in an arc called, uh, I think like nobody, uh, nobody, not nobody dies. That's the flash that's arc. The flash like, one. It's something like that, though. It's basically where Spider-Man is unable to save Marla Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson's wife. He's so distraught. He sort of decides, I'm not going to let anyone else die around me. This is this is what I'm going to put all my effort is just keeping everyone alive. Uh-huh. And then almost immediately, the villain of the piece is this guy. Shows and he, up. So he has to save the life of this like totally remorseless piece of crap. He's got to deal with a guy that is impossible to save is going to try to kill everyone, but he still has to do it because he's Spider-Man. He has to find a way and he does because it's a Spider-Man comic. But in that story, Jonah is furious that Spider-Man saves the life of the man who killed his wife. Right. Which is a reasonable thing. Uh, I will say this about Dan Slott and I love Dan Slott. We've talked about a lot about how I like Dan Slott. There's a hot take coming. We got a hot take coming. it, It is. I think Dan Slott kills people too easily. And and this is probably also true of Marvel comics and comic books in general. Uh Death has become so disposable Uh that people die frequently. And killing Jonah's wife bummed me out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Other characters die throughout this arc, uh, uh, this arc we're reading and and future arcs. And it just feels like the shock isn't there for me when these Mm -hmm. characters die. There's a death in these comics, and we'll talk about it when we get to it. But when it happens, I'm like, this should be meaningful. And it just feels like it just sort of happens. And it, it, it it's almost written as if like, well, this character died, so that must affect you. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You could kill a regular person, and it would affect me. It's how you 
show me. I wonder if it's just that. changing times, though, because I remember when we were kids in the early 80s, one of the arcs of Spider-Man was the Sin Eater stories. Yeah. Uh, the death of um, Gene, DeWolf. Gene DeWolf. And it was like Gene DeWolf was not like a major, major character. Probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast have never heard of mm-hmm. Gene DeWolf. Uh, but she was kind of like one of the um, supporting cast of that time. Like if you were reading Spidey comics at the time, you knew Gene DeWolf. And the kill, her, the murder of her was like kind of brutal and like surprising. Yeah. And it established the Sin Eater as an especially kind of new breed of violent villain that was yes. quite shocking. Peter David wrote this arc, a, a, a then very new and young writer, Peter David. Mm-hmm. And it left an impression on us. Like I, I, I that, that stood out to me still. I think of that as like one of the sort of standout, like, ooh, like gives me shivers. Yeah, I agree. But what at the, but at that time, I don't think I knew who Jean DeWolf was. I think she had shown up in a few Spider-Man comics from my perspective because uh-huh. we had not been reading a lot right. of comics at that point. We'd read older comics where she did not exist. And then we were kind of reading this arc. We'd read some with her. I mean, she definitely showed up. She didn't feel like a Commissioner Gordon level important character. She didn't feel like Mary Jane Watson. She did, she felt like, oh, and there's this cop character. Mm-hmm. But Peter mm-hmm. David presented that story in a way that made me feel like her death was a big deal. Yeah. Like by the time she dies in that comic, it's like, oh my goodness. And they also sort of tease Betty Brandt's death that she doesn't die in that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even that's like terrifying. It's like, they're going to kill Betty Brandt? Right. A character right. I do know. And it wasn't presented as like, ooh, look at this. Is, this means he's serious. It's just sort of like, it's crazy. I was scared in those moments in a way where the death that happens in this arc that we're going to get to and like the death of Marla Jameson and uh, other characters that happen post Superior Spider-Man, they all sort of just happen, and I'm like, okay, that character died. Uh, and it's not that I think, oh, they'll come back someday, which I do think most of them, if not some of them, already have. Uh, it's just that it's not even presented in a way where uh, I have time to feel like it's an impactful death. So why are you killing them? Why are yeah. you taking characters off the board? Why are you taking putting toys away? If you're not going to get something out of it, if you're going to kill a character, it better mean something, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, if, if a character dies in a TV show, uh, it's a bummer, right? It's like, oh, I like that character. Now they're not around anymore. But if you're going to do it, it should have lasting effects. It should really change things. It should be a big, important thing. Otherwise, don't do it. You know, I read an interesting, we're way off the reservation here or yeah. whatever, but um. Game of Thrones is a show where big characters would die and it did feel yeah. sort of arbitrary sometimes or like kind of like not arbitrary, but like it didn't feel convenient to the story sometimes. It felt like, oh, there was a lot more to be had with that character. Yeah. Um, but that became one of the things of the show is anybody could die at any time. Like yeah, no but- matter how big you could imagine that like some, cause like basically when Ned Stark spoiler gets killed, it's like, well, I guess they can kill anybody. Cause he's like, right. The main protagonist of the story here. But as someone who didn't read the books and watch that show, those deaths all felt very impactful. Like it just felt like, like the red wedding. Yeah. Uh, a, a famously big spoilery moment where lots of characters die. When that moment builds up to, I didn't know it was coming. Uh, yeah, me either. And it felt like those characters were all building to stuff. And then it was sort of like all taken away. And it felt like a huge deal, a huge, huge deal. It didn't just feel like, oh, what a shock value. Well, what, what I, this essay I read, I forget, gosh, I forget where mm-hmm. I read it. Because it was talking about sort of like what the 
criticisms of the final season of Game of Thrones versus the earlier right. seasons. And they basically said, like, even though the characters are were great always in Game of Thrones, like you, they were, inter- I mean, if you like the show, they were like interesting and like distinctive and, you know, um, Jon Snow and Daenerys and Jamie Lannister and everybody. Mm-hmm. But like the show was not the world. How do they put it? It was a, kind of a real highbrow point. Oh, yeah. It was like the world of Game of Thrones. The people are not in control. It's like society is bigger than the people. Like even if you are as charismatic and as capable as Jamie Lannister, you are prey to like sociological forces. Like the mob mm-hmm. could rise up and behead you. You're yes. not you're not safe from that. Um, or like the, the tide could turn and you will lose all of your power. And I, that that was like in a way the unspoken thesis of Game of Thrones, which is like these people are not bigger than the mm-hmm. forces of society. But usually in stories and narrative drama, we like it. We want Bruce Willis and Die Hard to be able to beat anything. Yes. That, that's our emotional relationship to the story. But Game of Thrones is like, no, there is nobody who can beat everything. But I think that's two separate things, right? That's like, oh, I'd like to see this character live. But there's also like, if he dies, don't just make it, oh, I didn't see that coming. Let's move on. I guess what I'm saying is the deaths in Game of Thrones were statements of the importance of society. Like a new king is, you know, a psychopath is put on the throne and Ned Stark dies. Yeah. But the, but the deaths need, all I'm saying is like, uh, you can take the main character off the board. I don't care. You can kill Ned Stark. But if you did it and you thought that was enough to shock me, it doesn't do anything unless like you show me what effect it has on the story, what effect it has on the other characters like that. We saw Arya there when it happened that we really thought Ned was the hero of the story. He'd been built up to be like, it's going to be tough, but this guy's going to have to figure out a way to like get through yeah. this, the, the, the figure out how to get this kingdom back in order. He's the only one who can do it. Like when all those things happen, it's like, Oh my, now what's going to happen. Yeah. If it was just sort of like a shock thing where it's like, I don't know. He was just walking by and something killed him. And everyone was like, oh, that stinks. And the story <laughs> kind of went on. That's what it feels like sometimes when you read bad deaths. Yeah. And some of that is like comic books only have like 22 pages or whatever. But yeah, I've definitely seen movies and things where like it feels like it kills a character or uh, uh, I mean, that's the complaint a little bit about uh, uh, Alien 3. And I think this is a necessity of maybe actors and stuff. Alien 3 starts with uh, killing off Hicks and Newt. Okay. Uh, and just Sigourney Weaver lives, but like they sort of die in uh, their whatever, uh, whatever the, their, their stasis chambers that they're in for travel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The suspended uh, animation thing. Suspended animation. They sort of just die. Like the ship crashes and like there's fails and they die and then they're out of the movie. <laughs> and as the movie continues on, it's like we just didn't want those characters in this story. Yeah. It's like, well, those deaths are stupid and meaningless then. Yeah. It's dumb to have killed them. Now you can never have them back. And. Yeah. What do you gain from killing them? Yeah. Nothing. And it didn't affect Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. It didn't affect her character. It didn't affect the story. Uh, maybe it's a shocking, oh, space is so scary. People can die. Or even you're watching The Expanse, right, Will? Yes. In season one when the doctor dies. Right. Uh, that serves the purpose of the story. It shows how terrifying and how easily people could just die in space. Right. And that moment is terrifying. We're not really attached to that character that much yet. He, he had some personality. Right. But like the death wasn't just treated as 
easy, an easy way to get that point across. It, it was a hard way to get that point across, I guess is my di- the difference. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, anyway, Marla Jameson gets killed and I, and I, I find that too many characters get killed in comics in general, but um, this, the story was interesting. We got one coming up put, soon. That it put Spider-Man in a position where he could not kill Massacre and he had to put him in jail. Right. So now we're going to see what Otto Spidey thinks of Massacre. Right. So like this issue sets it up. When Massacre breaks free of uh, Ravencroft, the Arkham-like place where he's prisoner and he kills a character on the way out. That's the death that Kevin's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he kills. Uh, uh, do we deal with it in this issue? Yep. So this is uh, Dr. Kaf- Kafka. Yeah. Who's like a big character from Jane DeMatty's run of Spider-Man. She's in sort of a, a minor major character, like a yeah. second tier Spider-Man character, but one of the bigger ones. Um, and her death here is just sort of like, I don't know. It She's sort of just dead. Obviously, Peter's ghost reacts to it, but no one else seems to care that much. We've wiped a major character off the table in a way that no one can deal with. Uh, her not being killed would not have changed the story in the least. Um, interesting. I didn't think if, about like it. if she wasn't. I, I didn't there, know who she was. I have to admit, I if she wasn't working at the, but it's like you kill a guard. Like watching, we also see massacre kill a lot of people, and some of the deaths are pretty awful. Right. This death feels like one of the less awful ones. But it's treated like, oh, look at this. We will kill Kafka. And it's like, but why? Yeah. It doesn't affect the story. If she had not been at work this day and was called in, like, massacre escaped and she showed up, like, the story moves along exactly the same. Yeah. So. Stakes, does, I it, guess. It, I mean, just like that. Yeah. That's what, it's, it feels like fake stakes, I guess, is what I feel like. That's, I, I guess. I, can't, I don't know how to is. argue out of it. So I won't bother. Um, so. Yes. Uh, so another, so massac- another thing that is another thing that's laid into place is Doc Ock goes back to get his doctorate. He's mad to find out that Peter's not a PhD, and Otto yeah. has such pride he can't bear being in a in a life that doesn't have a PhD. So he goes back to school, and his professor is was a fellow classmate of Otto Octavius that he has no respect for. Yes. Um. And so he gets kind of gets himself in trouble a little bit by just obviously disrespecting the professor. He is shown to be smarter than the professor, yes. but he must please the professor to get a grade. And so a tutor offers her services to him and she's going to become a romantic interest for Otto. Yeah. Dr. Marconi. Is, I, I like to call she, her Dr. Marconi. Yeah. Um, she's a student. Um uh, not in this issue. In this in this issue, the first issue, um, uh, four, she just gives her card to right. uh, to Otto Peter, and we and don't even see her, right? We don't even see her. Uh, just she's an off screen hand that gives her a card, but that's going. She's going to become an important character in the run. Yeah, huge, a huge character in this run. And then uh, also, there's a little subplot that doesn't pay off here, which is two of the the Otto is using his little spider bots that roam the city and alert him to crimes. He's rounding up some of the vultures' henchmen, who are actual children, flying around using vulture technology. Um, that's kind of just like a little chore he's doing along the way. And two of mm-hmm. them escape, and Otto's not worried about it. He'll get to them later. He figures, but they, in the very last page, end up being approached by the Green Goblin, and that does not pay off in the next couple issues. Yeah, that's just a slow, that's a slow building subplot, uh, old school Marvel subplot there happening. Uh, Green Goblin being uh, Spider-Man's arch nemesis. 
even outranking Doc Ock. Uh, we also see a lot more of the spider bot sort of spying on everything, which is just horrifying. Yeah, just his little dystopian little big brother things, just spying on everybody. He uh, he gets his auto as Peter gets his coworker at Horizon Labs. Well, that, that's going to happen in the next issue. So let's I think let's it's dig the end into of this issue. Does it? Does he get his his eyes light up? He, oh, he asks he, him to. He asks him to. Right. He says. Um, he asks. Uh, what's this guy? What's his? I think it's what uh, Yato. Uh, whatever. It's the Watcher name. What's Yatu? Yeah. Um, he, uh, Uatu, his coworker at Horizon Labs has created brilliant facial recognition technology and he wants it for his spider bots to make them even more intrusively spying on the city. Right. So, so that, that he can he, find massacre. So that he can find massacre, but also so that he can see not just what everyone's up to, who those people are. Right. Which is horrible, horrible. Scary. Yeah. Especially uh, in also, the ha- hands of Dr. Octopus. Uh, and the issue, issue, Four ends with ma- one of the things at the end is massacre kills almost everybody in a fast food restaurant, not McDonald's, but some sort of big chain. Right. And that's going to play in the next issue. Right. So kind of all the pieces are in place. Uh, Jonah is furious that massacres escaped. He sort of blames Spider-Man because Spider-Man didn't let this guy die when he had the chance. And right. Otto agrees. Otto's like, I'm going to find him and end him. Yeah. Which uh, Ghost Spider, because at this time, Peter Parker sort of uh, the memory of Peter Parker sort of in Otto's brain, kind of trying to control him, but sort of mostly failing at that. But he serves as sort of a, we get to hear what Peter thinks of everything. Right. And Ghost Peter's like, you can't kill him. It's not, that's not your job to kill this guy. Yeah. Um, Let's move on to issue five. Great. And so issue five is a very dramatic cover, Will. Yes. Uh, and this is the same artist as last issue? Yes. Um, yeah, it's like it is. It's like a spider web that's had a, has a gunshot through it. And it's and Spidey with the gun having fired the bullet. And even through the mask, we see there's like an angry little furrowed brow. Yeah. Superheroes holding guns that don't normally hold guns is always sort of a scary image, right? If you say Batman holding a gun, it's terrifying. Spider-Man holding a gun, it's like, oh, man. It's a, it's a statement because it's something yeah. that they're not behaving like they normally do. Right. Um, so we open on the CEO of the fast food chain dealing with the PR fallout of a shootout happening at one of her restaurants. And, and she's mostly worried about the bad image. press. Yeah. Yeah. That it like makes this Burger King like place look bad. We got to, you know, this is a classic evil CEO. Yeah. One of the 1%, just worried about the bottom line mm-hmm. in her rich New York apartment. Uh, but Massacre has somehow broken in there and uh, asks for $12 million in exchange for wearing the t shirt of one of her competitors when he does his next mass murder. Right. So instead of he can't help her get rid of this bad press, but he can make bad press for her uh, uh, competition. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like a real devious sentence on the splash page. Miranda, listen to me, says uh, Massacre. Normally, you can't buy that kind of bad publicity. Well, today you can. And he shows that he's wearing the T-shirt of her competitor. Yeah. Mocha Cola. (laughs) This is a real cynical move, like, you know, really giving it to the corporate uh class yeah it's like comics love it stories love to do that comics love to do that punk rock loves to do that but this is a good one i was kind of like yeah that's really evil i don't know what massacre's long-term plan is he gets 12 million dollars he's still this weird non-empathetic 
Now he's just rich murderer. Like yeah. you're still just gonna go around murdering people, right? That's all you care about doing. He just needs money for bullets, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't quite, I don't quite follow his plan, but uh, he's got a plan. Um, um, we cut away to Spider Man and Owatu. Um, Owatu Jackson, on- who is implementing the facial technology into the Spider Bot, so now it works, and Spidey can see the faces through or Auto Spidey can now use his spider bots to recognize the faces around the city. Yeah, Watu even says, I don't like this. It's too much power for one guy. Uh, and Otto says, what? I'm no big brother. I'm Spider-Man. Yeah. It's using like, well, using Peter's good name to leverage some yeah. uh, behavior. Yeah, and uh, Peter even, Ghost Peter even says that, you're killing my reputation, Otto. You know that, right? By the time I get my body back, there won't be anything left. I like that Peter still believes he's going to get his body back. Yeah. Like, I don't know how he thinks he's going to pull it off, but he believes it. Yeah. Um, now, P- Otto Peter. Yeah, Peter never says die, right? The, the yeah. g- ghost Peter is a hero. He knows he's going to win, or at least he believes it. So right. now, Peter, Peter Otto is going to the apartment of the woman who offered to tutor him. And he's, I think he's doing this just to play the politics of the school. He's like, oh, I guess I have to do this just to whatever, get along with people. And there's, an, inter- there's an interesting run of things where Peter keeps getting mad at Spider-Man for not like just looking for the villain. Like he's like, you should just be going looking for Massacre. You shouldn't be going having dinner. And in the previous issue, there was a fire that Otto didn't go. He routed the he, fire department. Yeah, just like the fire department can take care of that. I got to check on Aunt May. And like sometimes those moments happen. I'm like, yeah, that one sounds right to me. Yeah, Otto's kind of better at time management than Peter. Yeah. He, He's better he, at delegating. Otto's better in some ways of saying like, well, it doesn't help me just to swing around looking for massacre. I've got this other thing going that he'll turn up and I'll find him this way. Or I don't need to put out a fire. That's not what I'm best suited for. I'm best suited to help my aunt. Yeah. Uh, and he's sort of right about some of that to some degree. It's fun when he's right. It's fun that uh, we see I mean, in some ways he is superior, right? I mean, if someone died in that fire because Spider-Man wasn't there, it would look bad. But also it isn't his responsibility, really. And fire department's good at putting out fires. They're better at it. Yeah. Um, and definitely looking for massacre. If you are going to have Big Brother technology, why also swing around looking? Right. I mean, you could argue that he shouldn't have Big Brother technology, but here he is. He's got it. So, yes. So he goes to see Dr. Anna Marconi. Yeah. And we reveal that she's a little person. Yeah. Um, this is where we discover that. And she's in her apartment. And part of her tutoring plan is she, the first one's free and she cooks the person a meal. <clears throat> Bit strange. Yeah. This is something she does for all of her clients. She says apparently she's so confident in her abilities as a tutor that after one free lesson, they will um, pay her $60 an hour twice a week after this first free one. Yeah, I mean, that's got a half that's got to be eaten up by our food budget. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it doesn't seem like a good business plan. We should get involved. Yeah, she needs, we, we're famous for how, uh, yeah, financially savvy lucrative. we are. Yeah, we're, I, we're making so much money off this podcast. Look over well. the Heinz Brothers' careers. It's money first, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. We make that money. We figure out how to monetize stuff. That's why we have multiple Patreons going. We're both on Cameo. Mm-hmm. That's monetizing right. our huge celebrity. We got tons of ads. That's why during our podcast, we often you'll hear us recording cameos while the other person is talking. And we got to It's the only way we can get There's them all. So in. many. There's such a huge demand for our cameos. We keep upping the price and the demand won't go down. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, she's impressed. She agrees that Otto Peter is a genius. Yeah, she's surprised to see how smart he is. And um, but he's also he's impressed with her cooking and he kind of likes that she respects him, right? Yeah. And they're and, and they're they're enjoying talking about unstable molecules or whatever. The idea is that they are they're having a good conversation about it. And she's no dummy uh either. So he likes that. Like he, that she is he probably doesn't think of her as an equal, but he she is in his league. Yeah. Intellectually. Yeah. So, but he's mostly impressed with the food. Yes. Um, and that will come back to that later. Now he's back on the hunt uh, because one of his spider bots has found massacre. Right. Uh, and this is a really cool moment. Instead of going to catch massacre, he goes, he does something else. And Peter's like, well, go get massacre. Go get him right now. And I was like, first I have to do something else, which is. He, he accesses Peter's the- memories to, to get information on past massacre attacks. Yeah. And sees that one of his MOs is to always have hostages in a separate location that he can use for leverage. Right. So and he says, is, I got to find those hostages first, and then I can go get him. Which is genuinely smart. Right. This is one of the moments where Otto is better than Peter, like does something yeah. that Peter wouldn't do. And he he uses logic and scans the area. It's actually very like the Spidey video game. Yes. And figures kind of, kind of, kind of like Tony Stark level, like suit tech and like, finds that there is a warehouse with hostages strapped to bombs and he frees them all and ghost Peter begrudgingly admits, all right, that this is actually smart. This is actually good that you're doing this. I mean, while this is going on, massacre is shooting a bunch of police officers. Right. So there are repercussions to it. Um, but these people might die otherwise, and they're being saved. And one of them like hugs Peter tearfully and, and says, I never thought I'd see my little boy again. And hugs him, and Otto doesn't know how to handle it. It was nothing, ma'am. It's, uh, you're welcome. No, I must be going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Doesn't know how uh, to handle human nicety. I mean, it, it, it's, it, there's, Massacre is a weird character because he's sort of a no-win character. There's no way to save everybody. So you got to just kind of do the best you can do. And saving these hostages seems like the best you can do in this scenario. I, I, I'm giving it to Otto right here. You save some lives, and you take away some leverage power from Massacre. Yeah. And maybe if the cops hadn't engaged massacre, this wouldn't have happened. Maybe they, you know, they got to, if they just kind of monitored the situation and cordoned it off, but I, I can't say that. I don't know. So we go to grand central where massacre is and he's shot a bunch of cops and other cops are surrounding the outside and they don't know what to do. The mayor J Jota Jameson is very personally invested in this as well as invested as the mayor. Yeah. And also uh, J Jonah Jameson at this moment says, this is where we should take a break. And I that's was like, what he that's says. An inter- that's an interesting, that's a weird thing to say. That's an interesting thing to say in the middle of a comic. But I guess we'll have to respect it. Yeah, we have to take a break because J. Jonah Jameson, mayor of New York, demands it. Doesn't really say it that well. What? I thought I missed something. Yeah. When does he say that? Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. And 
Jonah says, now we're back. Uh, right after he says it's a break. Yeah, I don't, I can't see um, that in the, is that where, was that in your copy of the comic? Yeah, yeah. He goes, damn it, Spider-Man, you promised me you'd deal with this. Where in blazes are you? Let's take a break. Then you wow. turn the page to full page splash of J. Jonah Jameson pointing at me saying, and now we're back. Wow. And then the next page is Massacre shooting people. <laughs> so Spidey gets to Grand Central where Massacre is. And he uh, has shot all these cops. Uh, he is just shooting indiscriminately around. Maybe there's civilians dying too. They don't show any. I'm not sure. Yeah, it seems like the civilians have been moved. Most of them have been moved out of the way. It's hard, also hard to tell how many cops are dead and just being like winged and stuff. There's a lot like of arm clutching and things like that, but some are for sure dead. And so now Spidey is here and his thought process is like he reveals himself Massacre immediately turns on him. Well, what happens is uh, he's sneaking up on Massacre, and then a kid is targeted by Massacre, and Ghost Peter says, look, he's about to shoot the kid. Do something. And Otto saves that kid, but thinks to himself, why did I do that? I gave up my tactical advantage. So here's a moment where Peter is a better Spider-Man. He's willing to risk his own life. he got to try to save that kid. And he does. He successfully saves that kid. Ghost Peter influences Otto to save the kid. Um, Otto is where, yeah, right. I forgot about that part. Okay. So, but Otto does think one thing, which is very significant to the story. People are getting shot all around me. I could have ended this focus. Only one thing matters here. Taking this lunatic out. Right. Uh, Because now more people are endangered because of uh, saving this kid. More people are, and like Peter sees like someone gets shot. uh, One of the bullets that, uh, Spider-Man dodges. Stop it. Someone was, uh, someone is back there. You let him get hit. People are. And Otto's like, no, I just got to take this guy down. That's the only way to really stop this. People are going to keep getting shot until this guy's out. So he goes, he couldn't, he goes, walks right up to him. Yeah. And uh, Massacre says, enough. I have five hostages strapped to incendiary devices. And um, Spidey Otto finishes his sentence in a warehouse 20 blocks away. No, you don't. Because as we've seen, he's already freed them. Massacre futilely clicks his little detonator. Yeah. And then he picks up a gun. I wonder if there was a version of the story where we didn't see Otto. Like we saw Otto swing away to do something, but we didn't know what he did. And this was like the reveal that he had already done it. I wonder if that was ever in the draft. Because in previous issues, like when you fought the Sinister Six, he reveals after the fact that he set all the stuff up. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they did it differently just because they'd done that once already or if. It was always meant to be this way. I'm just uh, sometimes I'm curious about the making of this. I like how this is played out. I like getting to see him do it first. But this you get to panel, see the play. You get to see the play between him and Peter a little more clearly yeah. that way. This panel reads as if like we're being told that too, which we're not. Um, but it's still a cool moment. I really it's like. Satisfying I like how to this see Massacre out. not have his plan work. That's kind yeah. of funny. And then he picks up the gun, and this is where Spidey Otto is very different. The Massacre picks up a gun and shoots Massacre. Right, he shoots him like in the the arms, yeah. Uh, so that he drops the weapon. Gun, Massacre's cr- totally breaks stunned. his hand. Yeah, can't believe he did. And then uh, he's massacre wounded on the floor is sort of dragging himself along to pick up his gun again. And Spidey jumps and crushes his other hand. Yeah. Um, and now Spidey Otto has this monologue, tentacles, robots, lasers, death traps. So many ways I've taken lives over the years. Firearms seem beneath me somehow. Ghost Peter starts protesting. Don't do it, Doc, Spidey Otto thinks. But there is finality in this. This would solve everything. 
Uh, Peter continues, no, you don't get to kill anyone, even massacre, not with my hand. And so now we have the big sort of dramatic thing of the story is like, are there villains who are so evil and so crazy that actually they they should be murdered, even yeah. if it's by a vigilante, even if it's by a good guy? Who would really complain about massacre? A guy whose brain has no empathy, just shot a fast food restaurant full of people, just shot Grand Central Station full of police. Um, yeah. Why shouldn't Spider-Man just get rid of him? Uh, it's like a really interesting sort of thing. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's like Masker's, one of the edge cases. It's like, right. But you shouldn't kill anybody. Yeah, of course we agree with that. We, the readers of Spider-Man agree with that, but how about in these really difficult, like edge cases? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the main answer should be like, maybe he should die. I don't know if I can answer that. I don't know if Spider-Man should be the one to do it. Yeah. Like there's um, a government that could make that decision. Uh, uh, it's, it's hard in a world where nobody everybody escapes from prison a few issues after you put them in it's, it's a tougher call i guess and a world a world where there's weird superpowers and like yeah. strange supernatural things but um the story really plays with the emotions well here because spidey auto has his gun pointed at massacre massacre both his hands are broken he's at for this moment totally subdued yeah and captured and and we see a shot of spidey auto standing over massacre very like strongly and you see all the the civilians who have either been shot or scared gathered behind Spadiato looking at massacre with misery and resentment and anger and maybe fear. And they obviously in this moment, at least emotionally want Spidey to take him out. Yeah. That's what the panel is saying to us. They've all been traumatized for the rest of their lives. And so what? Spidey Auto says out loud, what now? Do I web you up, leave you for the cops with a friendly little, little note? What, that's what Peter would do or mm -hmm. something like that. Wait till you break out and kill again, capture you again over and over. How many dead and dying here? When is it enough? What should I do? Tell me. And somebody in the crowd says, do it. Right. Massacre starts crying in this moment. He goes, I'm scared. <laughs> Fear. Yeah. First time in years that I've actually felt something, real emotion. It feels wonderful. <laughs> Uh, and then Ghost Peter latches onto that. Hear that, Doc? Maybe there's a chance he can be saved, cured. You get it now? That's why we don't kill, because there's always hope. Because people can... Uh, and then uh, Otto interrupts. This changes nothing. Yeah, you are who you are. That killer will always be hiding inside you. There is only one solution here. And he does something that Peter would never do and kills him. Yeah, and now this death is very meaningful. There's a character I don't care about. I don't care about Massacre. I don't you know, care you're about... in favor of Massacre walking around, right? That's the reason uh, why it's meaningful to you is this character you love so much is now yeah. saved. I, I I don't feel like this is a, a villain that I'm like, oh, this is an interesting villain that I think should come back again and again, should be one of Spidey's rogues galleries. He's a plot device. This villain is a plot device, but this death is very meaningful and very impactful. And Spidey taking this uses a gun and takes board, out a villain. Taking this character off the board means something way more than that character meant. It's an additive death versus a uh, Kafka, which felt like a subtractive death. Anyway, uh, J. Jonah Jameson is overjoyed. Yeah, Spidey J. Jonah Jameson right. loves Otto Spidey. It's very so funny. great. But it does make sense, right? He's the, yeah. the man who killed his wife has been killed. Yeah. Like emotionally, this, you can... Yeah, it's just very funny that Jonah keeps referring to this Spider-Man as a hero. <laughs> after all these years, after 700 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, threat Spider-Man saving his life numerous times during that span. Yeah. Saving people he cares about, 
Yeah, saving saved his son. He city. saved his son in issue one. Yeah, just constantly being a hero and a hero. And he hates him. He hates him. He's a villain. And now, now that Doctor Octopus has taken over, he's like this. Finally, Spider-Man <laughs> this has guy become I like. a hero. And so we end where we began with the CEO of the fast food chain who's watching the killing, and she's dismayed to see that there, even though Massacre um, wore the Mocha Cola T-shirt, the T-shirt of her rival, yeah. there is no mention of Mocha Cola in the bad press. That's what's dismaying her. Yeah. And uh, Spidey Otto has think, been spying think, on her with Spidey bots. I don't think the shirts get that much play in uh, uh, killers' uh, news stories. But yeah, but but she's also a little happy that at least her burger place is no longer in the news. Yeah, um, but we see behind her as she's watching TV in her rich, fancy apartment, a bunch of spider bots. So Otto is spying on her and he shows up on her TV. Supervillains have the ability to show up on any TV they want at any time. If you're a supervillain of any stature, you have power over all TVs. That's something that I tell you. It's a really great, I mean, that's why you want to be a villain. If if you want to get more TV time, Will. Yeah. And I know you've been auditioning I, for stuff. I mean, like I'm a Hollywood actor. I want that TV time. If you're a supervillain, you'd get it faster. I wonder. If, I wonder if Otto's being paid a SAG rate for this. Must be. Um, and so we don't know what's going to happen, but she's going to be found out or ruined. Yeah. And it kind of ends with a crazy little twisted, yeah. Otto version of a Spidey phrase. Uh, he's saying to her on the TV. He also look. He spread himself over three televisions, which is that's a yeah. crazy thing to be able to do. <laughs> he's got like he can join the monitors which i yeah, find that's very right. difficult to do when i'm setting my home computer up to spread out an image over two monitors yeah, they but weren't already set up that way they were all showing different channels a moment ago so he had to rewire them i guess this he's a really powerful supervillain. um you know she is he's basically saying i'm going to reveal your involvement in this now you can tell the authorities tell them or answer to me i see everything in this city everything that is my power and my responsibility to watch over and judge you all. <laughs> yeah. And this is where when the, the people have read this arc and have said like that dance lot was making this Spider-Man superior. It's like, you are missing not a very subtle nuance. Yeah. He's making it pretty clear that like, it is ironic that even though he is effective in many ways of executing the yeah. duties of Spider-Man. He is ultimately a villain who yes. wants to control everything. I mean, that is a villain. Yeah, he's interested in control, not freedom. Yeah. Um, I think I read an interview with Kirby Sake, which is like, that's how you can tell the difference between a hero and a villain is the villain, because villains sometimes have the power to do good or even they do good, like mm-hmm. Dr. Doom sort of making Latveria run efficiently or something like that. Yeah, right. Um, but they want to control everything, and the heroes want it to run free. Yeah, heroes give you control, and villains clamp it down. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, the dance slot is. There's no bones about it. Auto is bad. Yeah. Before we go on to the 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 next issue, which we'll cover real quickly, what'd you think of that two issue arc? Well, just overall. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was like thought provoking and interesting, and it was also weirdly emotionally satisfying to see a villain as bad as Massacre get killed. Like I was mm-hmm. kind of rooting for Otto in that moment in a way. Like, I don't know if I agreed with him, but there was like satisfaction. It's like, you know, Clint Eastwood make my day. Like the, the, the vigilante cop who's like tough on the person who deserves diverse, yeah. deserves to be treated toughly is like really satisfying. Um, 
It was interesting to see him charmed by Anna Marconi. It was interesting to see him make time for Aunt May in a smart way. That was, was a great like, moment. Dan Slott is like a good writer. He's like really analyzing this moment thoughtfully and thoroughly in a, in a, in a better way than I expected. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's interesting when we were, you asked me to pick uh, the issues we would cover in this season. And so I read uh, the whole 31 issue arc plus the, the Rag. amazing uh, issues that led up into it. And I was like, Oh, it was so I like set aside any issue that I thought was really good at first. But it was like way more than like we wanted to keep it like four to seven, I guess, at most, ideally like five or six. Um, and I was like, all right, I just got to pick the ones that are like critical to this story and are and also good stories within that. So like obviously the first one we picked was the reveal. Yeah. Uh, Great amazing. Six ninety eight story and crucial. And I had to pick that over 700. I was like 700 covers some of the same ground. If I had to pick one or the other, the reveal is more important to me than like the end of amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. The death of Peter was not as big a deal to me. Uh, then the first issue of a superior was a pretty big deal, kind of setting the status quo in place. Uh, that was the next issue we covered. And then I picked this one. Cause it's like, Oh, this is where Otto clearly crosses a line. Right. Like he's been pretty brutal, right? He like beat up boomerang real he bad. He broke Scorpion's jaw. Uh, and he like, like really brutally took down the vulture. Yeah. But that's all just him. like, oh, he's extra violent. He he kills somebody. Like it's the next step uh, over where Peter Parker would want him to go in a very important issue. I think that's why I sort of picked this one. I agree with your decisions. Um, the next issue is like another half step beyond that, I would say. Like, and again, like I think this issue is good too, but it, it it sort of seems to be just adding to what we just saw in this issue, which is Spider-Man crossing a line of murder. So in this issue is about Screwball and a character. Jester? The Jester, who I'm not really that familiar with. Screwball. But, but similar to Screwball is like a prankster villain, sort of. Like wants yeah. attention more than hurting people. I mean, sometimes does hurt people, but like. Yeah. Yeah. They're taking money, but but they're not massacre. Yeah, they're annoying um, and they're villains. Yes. Um, but they're almost they're like this category of supervillains where they're comic villains. They're like Mr. Mixelplick or something like that, like yeah. where they're like kind of mischievous and annoying to the superhero, like humiliating for them to have to go after. Right. Uh, um, Screwball but, is most famous from uh, the video game missions that I skip a lot of <laughs> and replay at least. I, don't, I, I do. Don't I do them last, but I do do them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but uh, Otto, well, isn't so Otto brutally beats the crap, like, breaks their bones and just like beats the holy crap out of screwball and jester. But one thing that's different in this issue is it's revealed that they activate a tr past trauma of Otto, which is basically being bullied as a child. Like right. he was brutally bullied as a child and being bullied is a classic superhero thing. Like um, everybody has some experience of feeling bullied as a kid. Some people mm -hmm. quite brutally, sometimes just in a way that you look back and it wasn't so bad, but the feeling of being laughed at and made fun of by your peers is something we all relate to. Yeah. And often supervillains are revealed to have been like brutally bullied and that's what made them evil sort of yeah. like. Um, but what's and, interesting is like Peter Parker was bullied. That's true. And it didn't turn him into that. Of course he got his powers at 16, but, um, but for sure Peter Parker was bullied uh, as bad and you know he had Peter Parker had better parents than Otto right we does. also see that Otto was abused by his father mm -hmm. um, 
And so he unleashes the rage he has at his childhood traumas on Screwball and Jester. Also, yeah. he begins being romantically interested in Anna Marconi, and we see her bullied on campus. She's a little person, and yeah. she's made fun of by other students, and Otto witnesses that, and he has some revenge on her bullies. But we also see that she's not vindictive about it. Yeah, she's above it. She's like, I take the high road. Like, I'm bigger than them, you know, play on words in and, and, and every way. Yeah. Uh, we also but he, see, the, but he's vindictive on her behalf. We also see Spider-Man's Avengers teammates sort of taking notice that Spider-Man is being more vicious uh, and trying to decide, like, should we, I mean, this, he just killed somebody. Yeah. What do we do? And Wolverine's like, I've killed people. Cap, you've killed people. We've all killed people. Like the team at this point is made up of a lot of spies and and Wolverine guys who've all occasionally had to cross that line. Yeah. Spider-Man never has. So I think. Cap is right to be like, oh, maybe this is bad. Um, but Wolverine sort of says, like, let's give him a chance. Yeah. Makes um, sense that he, Wolverine would be the one to be like, sometimes you got to go too far. Yeah. And but then when this happens, when they see it, when they see he like beats up basically pranksters. Yeah, they're who are harmless. Like th yeah. they're not massacre. You don't need yeah. to break every bone in Screwball's body. Uh, when they see that, Wolverine says, You're right, we got to bring him in. Uh, but Jay Jonah loves it. Um, right. I mean, this is like the Clint Eastwood make my day approach to policing. Just like all these crooks are punks and uh, somebody wises off to you, just shoot him. That, that is like an appealing figure to lots of people. Like, sure. You know what you need? Just get a gun and shoot him. I remember like, this is a weird story, but I remember after 9-11 on the Tonight Show, James Woods, uh, sort of right wing, yeah. Mr. Tough Guy. You'll see him online always saying like, just take these guys out. I remember, I think he was on the Tonight Show and he was like, when I saw 9-11, I just thought launch. And he mimed like pushing the button of like nuking. <laughs> and I was like, I remember being like, I think, is, what's, wait, am I remembering right this on the Tonight Show? I remember it was just like a crazy, I was like, man, James Woods is like nuts. Like yeah, just happily saying you should launch a bunch of nuclear missiles. First I thought James Woods is nuts. But then I thought there that that is an emotionally uh, appealing option to lots of people. Show no yeah. mercy at every level. These Definitely punks in, deserve it. In the wake of 9-11, there was a lot more like, we've got to get the people who did this. It's a very dark reaction yeah. to have to that. I'm not saying everyone had it, but it was definitely more prevalent than... Oh, I remember in The usually. Onion, when The Onion finally published, it was only like three weeks after, and they, their 9-11 issue, which is like legendary in comedy yeah. circles for being like one of the first like comedy institutions to publish anything in the wake of 9-11. And they did a whole 9-11 themed issue. Yeah. Uh, I remember like the headline was terrorists surprised to find themselves in hell after 9-11 attacks. <laughs> right, right. Um, it wasn't like hugging up. Hugging 1, up 20,000% or something was one of the one of the headlines. Yeah. Not sure what else to do. Midwestern woman bakes American flag cake or something <laughs> was one of them. But the the point counterpoint in that issue was one of the sides of the counterpoint was we must strike back with unbridled rage. Yeah. You know, I think that one of them was we must strike back with pinpoint precision. And the counterpoint was, no, we must retaliate with blind rage. <laughs> like it was only in what way do we <laughs> strike yeah, right. back or whatever? Yeah. And that's um, definitely and what it did. It kind of represent like the emotions of the time. Um, yeah. So Otto, Otto is representing that sort of like, just, just don't worry about being charming or quippy. Just try, strike back with rage. Um, yeah, you're right. Like the massacre death is like, 
somewhat emotionally justified, but then we see here that Otto is just brutally violent no matter what. Yeah, and especially if you, uh, if from the outside perspective, you think this is the same Spider-Man who's been fighting crime for whatever, 10 years or so, uh, you're like, wow, wow, Spider-Man had to kill somebody. I can't believe he did that. Uh, but, I mean, if he's going to do it, and he massacre did it with Massacre. not a bad person to do it to, yeah. A part of you might just be like, maybe this is, we give him this one. Yeah. Um, and then, then the next, issue when, when the next clear. thing he does is this, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, for a story, it's really interesting. Yeah, this was art by Humberto Ramos, uh, who's a great artist, also re a recurring uh, Spider-Man artist. He's done a lot of Spider-Man comics. It's really cool. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an exaggerated, almost cartoony look. But uh, he, I mean, he, I don't know. He's great. I don't know what you thought of the art for this issue. I but. love it. It's beautiful. I mean, I, I've just, I've been blown away by the art of modern comics so much compared to what we, what we grew up with. And I loved a lot of that art too. But yeah. a lot of that art was more blocky and minimalist and sort of spare, which I often yeah. like. Uh, the modern artist, I don't. The style seems to be to like show that you can do really complicated full drawings and still have it be like easy to look at and they pull it off it's also very interesting to me that the art uh, when we were growing up the, there was a bit of a house style and there was there was exceptions like frank miller and a few other and bill bills and Kavitz, um were big exceptions yeah but there was also like a lot of the, the, like if there was a fill-in artist or uh an artist took over it didn't feel like oh man this book looks completely different where in this arc, we've had like three different artists that are very distinctly different artists. Yeah. Uh, and it still works because they're all great. Um, it's interesting to me the, the way comics have changed in that way. Um, I'm, I love this series. I'm super invested. I'm super intrigued. I feel, even though I, I, I respect your hot take on that the deaths might be a little cavalier, overall, there is great emotional importance given to each story point in a way that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. I'll say it again. Dan Slott took what could have been a like three issue arc and justifies making it a series. Yeah. I mean, again, my death complaint is I think Dan Slott is a person who does this. And I don't like that about his writing, which generally otherwise I really like. I do not think he is the only one. I think it is a problem in modern comics. I think um, every event that comes along involves like a major death of a character, like the Hulk dies and this, this is, one, the Hawkeye dies in the next I one. I agree with you. Make Kevin Hines a comics editor world. I'm telling you, make your comics uh, better. Let Kevin be the editor. I'm convinced um, and, of that. And I think comics in general and different runs will do that same thing. And it's just like, part of it is just there's so many deaths that they stop meaning anything. Part of it is that they get undone so easily. They don't mean anything. But some of it is also like, how they're presented, I think they've become shorthand for this means something. Yeah. Where like the death of massacre meant something. The the, the mutilation of, of Screwball meant something. And the death yeah. of Kafka didn't. So why kill a character that has a following? Why kill Gene DeWolf if that is not a part of the Sin Eater story? Right. Why have her slip on the bar of soap and die in her bathtub if the story <laughs> is about chasing down the Sin Eater? Like if that's what happened, you'd be like, what? Yeah. If the story is about like sometimes people just die and uh, and you just can't do anything about it, that'd be an interesting story. But that's not you know. So think about the story you're telling, I guess. Anyway, Dan Slott's great, and he doesn't need to hear me say that. <laughs> um. So I'm excited about the series. What are we reading next? Uh, well, next week we'll be doing more X Men comics. We're getting a lot of email, which we love. Please keep emailing us. That's screw it uh, comics 
at gmail.com. Our old mail was screwed, Spidey. That still works. But screwitcomics at gmail is our email address. So we're going to be doing a lot of mailbag episodes, we yeah. think, every other time until we catch up. So um, if we ever catch up, yeah. Our very next episode, we're going to do mutants and mailbag again. Also, our mutants portion is popular, Kevin. People like the X-Men, it turns out. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to think this Chris Claremont guy and the X-Men have a following. Yeah. I guess we've always saw, saw them as a real niche overlooked part of the Marvel Universe. But I yeah. guess people like the mutants. Oh, interesting. I thought people were more into Nova, but uh, the human rocket. <laughs> but, you know, that's... I, I can't be right about everything. Uh, yeah, so that'll be next week. And then when we come back to Superior Spider-Man, um, let me check. I've got it written down because I am a professional. Yeah, only accident. has to look it up for a couple of moments. It's yeah, pretty professional. Just, um, I, you know? Right now my iPad Some people doing... might take several minutes. We take just like one minute of like a pause yeah, yeah, yeah. to look That's up something. That's right. Uh, the, uh, we're going to do issues Oh, uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And we're and gonna, then we make a jump after that, right? After seven, nine, eight, and ten, we're gonna do uh, eleven to sixteen, mm-hmm. and then seventeen to thirty-one. That's gonna be a huge one. The big jump. Okay. Uh, obviously, some of those issues we're barely gonna talk about in there. Uh, where are you in your reread? Well, I'm only on issue fifteen, I think. Okay, great. So you're you're right. At, uh, yeah. I don't know what, but on the X Men, I've gotten to the John Byrne issues, which I'm excited. Oh wow, you're really you're way ahead of me. I'm I'm just I've with the X-Men stuff, I'm right where we've talked about. I haven't. I mean, gone I am ahead. in Comics Heaven. I'm reading Superior Spider-Man and the original Clamor round of X-Men. They're like both so extremely exciting. I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. So we're reading a bunch of great stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so we'll see you guys next week for Mutants and Mailbags. And then two weeks, we'll come back to Superior Spider-Man for 7, 8, 9, and 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep reading comics, Thank- everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. My name is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.